Premier Christian Newscast. Hello and welcome to Premier Christian Newscast. I'm Tim Wyatt and there's only one church news story we could really talk about today. The Church of England voting through radical new plans to offer blessings for gay couples for the very first time. We dug into the history of the LGBT debate in the church and where these proposals came from a few weeks ago on the podcast. And we heard from spokespeople on each side of the often bitter debate. So please do pause this episode and go back to listen to that one first if you didn't catch it at the time. Today, we're going to try and sketch out what happened last week, why it matters, and what might be coming next. We're going to head deep into Church of England headquarters in central London as the General Synod, the Church's National Assembly or Parliament, met last week over four gruelling days to wrangle over all the details. Good afternoon, Synod. We come to item three on the agenda, the presidential address, and I invite the Archbishop of Canterbury to speak. Thank you very much, Madam Chair. Thank you, Synod. I'm very grateful to be with you today. These past few weeks, have been challenging, to say the least, for many here and many more across the church and outside the church. And I know that you will have all thought and prayed very hard about the conversations that we will have over these coming days. So I'm grateful that we have this chance to meet as children of God face to face and to place our hopes, fears, and deep disagreements at the foot of the cross and the empty tomb, which unite us. So that was how it all started, with the Archbishop of Canterbury urging the roughly 400 or so bishops, vicars, and lay people who make up the Synod to stick together, even as they debated something so incredibly divisive. Of course, the gay blessings plans were not the only item on the agenda, on this long-planned synod meeting, but all around Church House, which is the the cavernous Victorian building next to Westminster Abbey, which houses the synod, there was a nervous anticipation about this piece of business and not much else. First up on Monday afternoon came a presentation from the Bishop of London, Sarah Mullerly, who heads up the Living and Love and Faith Research and Consultation Project, which was itself the forerunner to the Gay Blessings. She spoke for about 25 minutes without any chance for questions from the floor to set the scene small group discussions the following day. Your participation in these sessions of Synod is no different. As bishops, we are eager to listen to you as together we shape the way forward over the coming months. Tomorrow you will have an opportunity to do this in group work and as you know on Wednesday there will be ample opportunity to debate the motion that we have put before you. My hope is that at this Synod, you will embrace your role as leaders in the Church of England. I hope 
that we will not look to our own interests, but to the interests of others. I hope that we will embrace the narrow way of walking together, rather than the wide way of retreating into our comfort of our silos. Well, I've just come out of the uh, chamber here at the introductory session at the Synod to Living in Love and Faith, the, uh, the Bishop of London, Sarah Mullally, who's the kind of spearheading the whole process for the Church of England, basically kind of summarized the six years of the process which had led to this point. Uh, she, she began by kind of recalling the famous moment in 2017, the last time the Synod talked about sexuality issues, uh, when the archbishops called for a radical new Christian inclusion, which followed a, a rebellion against the House of Bishops' last attempt to uh, draw a line under the debate sexuality and, and really fired the starting gun for living in love and faith. Um, Bishop Mullerly said that um, she was quite frank about the disagreements that continued, that you know neither side has really shifted over six years of talking. There hasn't been any Damascus Road conversions, but she said... Uh, the call remains to seek the face of Christ in each other and to live out the truth in grace in a 21st century context. Um, she, she added that it was important for all sides to approach the group work that was coming up the following day with humility. Uh, and if God was calling the church to, to live with its disagreements, the question remains... Uh, how can we do so without bringing the church into what she called was, would be humiliating disrepute? Um, she said uh, she tried to suggest that, that beyond the, the kind of strident voices of familiar activists, the bishops had been listening to, uh, to a, a, a different tune, she said, um, talking about a growing sense of empathy and respect on all sides um, as varied kind of perspectives and stories had been shared during LLF. Uh, and she said this has begun to change the church, you know. She said, uh, quote, our eyes have been opened to the harm that we have done, especially to LGBTI people. But she also actually addressed some of the controversy over the bishop's specific proposals for, for services to bless gay couples at the subject of the big kind of crunch vote later in the week. Um, she, she insisted that opposite-sex couples who had had civil marriages did continue to be seen in the eyes of church to be lawfully married, uh, but while gay couples who had had civil marriages were not, which she kind of attempted to kind of downplay concerns that have been raised by many since the legal guidance that the bishops are relying on creates the distinction between civil marriage and holy matrimony. Um, but she did kind of admit that there were lots of complex legal and ethical questions currently batting around which probably should have been raised back in 2014 when, when gay marriage first became a thing. He said the bishops were not trying to offer definitive answers to any of these, surprising not very many people, but did want to kind of find a way forward which would navigate disagreement. Um, she kind of reminded Synod that ultimately no change to, to the doctrine on, on holy matrimony was being proposed because the bishops just couldn't agree. Um, but they did want to acknowledge the commitment couples, gay couples have made, which is why they were offering these, what they're calling prayers of love and faith. Um, she said, quote, we recognize there is a spectrum of convictions among us as bishops and a church, and that is why the prayers are commended and not imposed on anyone. Uh, but she kind of concluded by saying there was lots more thinking to be done on issues like friendship, on singleness, combating homophobia, even things about the place of sex in relationships and marriage. 
Um, but she said, uh, we, we want to, to listen together, to keep walking together. And she kind of ended by really urging people to kind of embrace what she thought was the, the narrow path, the more difficult way of walking together rather than taking the easy way of retreating into what she called was the comfort of our, of our silos. So it was a kind of typically measured, um, kind of thoughtful uh, uh, speech by, by the Bishop Mullerly, who is kind of known for being quite kind of straight down the middle, uh, fair, even-minded, um, but really a sense of the bishops really trying to draw the synod together over there, that what they see is a kind of compromised position, and we'll have to wait and see if whether that, that lands with the individual synod members who are, who are due to spend several hours uh, tomorrow on Wednesday doing small group work on this before five hours in debate on, on, uh, on Wednesday afternoon. These small groups were supposed to be a way of bridging divides, cooling the temperature, and helping Synod members share their feedback on the prayers of love and faith being proposed by the bishops outside of the cauldron of the full parliamentary procedure on the floor of the Synod. But before they could even kick off, there was a sign of just how contentious these plans are, as a group of right-wing traditionalist Christians held a very noisy protest in the street outside Church House. We must obey God! We must obey the word of God or go to hell. It's in the Bible. Jesus is coming in wrath. The Church of England is apostate. You have turned from the word of God. We must repent. Time is running out. Church of England, you must repent. God created man and woman. Sons and daughters, amen, male and female, we are created in the image of God. Anything else is from the devil. We must obey God's ordained family unit and marriage union. One man married to one woman for life. The rest is anything else is from the devil. Marriage is between one man and one woman. It wasn't a very large protest, to be fair, and was certainly not welcomed by even the most conservative members of the Synod. There were about a half a dozen men waving flags with the cross of St George and placards that accused the C of E of bowing to wokery and LGBT heresy. One protester even had a poster with Archbishop Welby photoshopped to look like the devil. Later on, the Archbishop popped down to have a chat with them and even took a selfie next to his demonic counterpart. But for now, I managed to skirt the demonstrators to sit down with the Bishop of Lancaster, Jill Duff, to ask how she was feeling ahead of the small group sessions. Well, I, was, I wasn't an LF bishop, so I've been part of lots of these sorts of groups, so I'm quite relaxed in You're that quite sense of... familiar with what, what kind of conversations sort of, yeah. that happen in there. Yeah, because it's, it's important to, you know, it's a really hot-button issue for a lot of people, no matter where you are on the theological spectrum, where you want to see, it's quite a, mm. um, um, a hot potato, really, so... But do you feel optimistic about it? Because I think a lot of people say, you know, we even some of the LLF documentation says we spent six years talking about this and no one's really budged. Do you expect people to kind of? Is it is it an opportunity just to re, yeah. kind of repeat your your own position, or well, do people really listen? We're to in each a different other? phase, really, because we've spent six years talking about it. But as bishops, we spent six days actually trying to discern what this means and how mm. it's going to work out. So I would personally think we haven't spent long enough working out what the practical things might come out of this. 
So I think we're probably in that phase of what if, what if, what if, what if, what would this look like? Mm. I'm, you know, I think marriage is between a man and woman and sex is for marriage. And that actually is, I'm not embarrassed by that. That's something that I think scripture is quite clear on, really. But we need to be radically welcoming. Um, Jesus radically welcomed people from all sorts of backgrounds. And the better setting and get some crazy high standards, what that looks like in, to be a really committed Christian. So, yeah. How do you feel about the, the prayers of love and faith? Are you excited to commend them to your clergy? Um, I, I won't be personally using them. And um, I don't think they're, um, they're not, it's not something I could theologically, um, it, it, you know, not, not something I would want to vote for, really. No, no, no. And what was um, it like in being in the College of Bishops then when you realised that was the way your, your brother and sister bishops were leading and you were going to be in a minority? Yeah. Was that, was that difficult? Um, I, was re- I was personally really sad. Um, uh, my colleague kind of, talk me through it and say, well, you know, this, this, this. So it's been a journey for me. I, I know I'm going to, I'm not going, I'm going to all speak about, speak against them tomorrow. So um, I just don't see, after 2,000 years, the justification mm. for this. And I know, I know there's lots of different views and it's very painful, but it's also very painful for sort of same-sex attracted people who have, you know, lived, in, lived celibate lives and feel that that's under God what they would... Um, should do. I've, you know, I've written about this actually in Premier recently, and um, that's attracted quite a lot of discussion because people say, well, you're a woman bishop, you've benefited from a, a change in the church's law only eight years ago. And I would say, re- yes, I'm really pleased about that, but the argument is exactly the opposite. So in the New Testament, the New Testament was, is always, always more positive about women than the surrounding culture, whereas on the issue of sort of same sex relationships there were really stable same faithful same-sex relationships in that culture and yet the new testament drew on a, a kind of a, a tighter ideal for where sex should be mm. and i can't see you know as an lf bishop i've read every single joss and tittle and academic argument on this i cannot see a case for changing changing that that's where that's where i find myself actually which um, there's more of us who think that than might appear <laughs> the case. Could you give us a sense of the numbers? Because we hear, you know, the archbishops say that this was a kind of this was the consensus of the college, and they wanted to joyfully offer these prayers. And then, you know, we mm. then we come up with there's a statement from you and twelve other bishops saying actually we've got a quite different theology of marriage. Yeah, yes. How how we hear there is division, but how how much division? Yeah, it's what, what it's probably evenly things? spread across the positions, really. So. Um, people would like the you know status quo. People would like a sort of halfway house. People who would like to see same-sex marriage. It's probably a spread mm. really about the roughly evenly. I would imagine. I think the I mean for many of us, and, and I would I now want to find a, a good way forward um, uh, for the church to stay together as much as possible and you know walk together. Um, I don't think the the current status of the prayers of blessing will enable that because. It, well, one, it's, you know, if you come from a, um, if you're somebody who wants to see equal marriage, they're a kind of a nightmare because, um, well, how, how come if you're heterosexual you can get married? But, you know, this is kind of slightly homophobic, isn't it, that we can't have um, um, same-sex marriage? Or if you come from more of a, um, a sort of, I think, quite a mainstream conservative position, um, how, 
you know, God blesses us and he blesses everybody, doesn't he? But I'm um, just, um, the, the kind of the ideals I see in scripture are quite particular things in this area. Mm. Um, and it would feel a bit, um, how can I put it? I wouldn't have integrity to say, I'm blessing a sexual relationship, mm. which I don't, I think is it falls short of what God would love to love to have, really, and that's that's a hard thing, isn't it? Really, yeah. and at the moment, that that decision of, hello, I'm really sorry, I don't feel able to use those prayers, is done by vicars on their doorsteps, and that's why I don't think the current situation is workable. Mm. That's why I'll be voting against it. Um, so it's quite. It's, I think the thing is also a lot of our social media um, amplifies a progressive voice. Mm. So I think we think there's a lot more people in the Church of England who support significant change. Whereas actually, I think what is coming out, or my experience the last two weeks, is there's quite a lot of mainstream churches saying, this isn't going to work on the ground. This doesn't work with an Anglican communion, you know, because there's ma- you know, it's a majority view across the world um, is sex is for marriage, and marriage is for the man and the woman. Mm. You know, this, is, this is kind of mainstream stuff, and I don't think we're in a position to make such major decisions after six days would be how I would put it. Mm. What kind of vibes are you picking up from other Synod members over the last kind of day and a half you've been here? Do you get a sense of, do you have a feel for which way you think the debate might go tomorrow? It's really hard to, to see really, isn't it? I think the 50% mm-hmm. votes needed to pass the Bishop of London's motion and it's just hard to know whether that really will be in the House or what the amendments will look like. Um, I think because, yeah, again, because of social media amplifies progressive view i think people aren't aware of the the strength of feeling in quite mainstream churches that this is like a quite a significant departure from what we've done as christians for millennia without much theology you know so, so some of the statements that have been made you know about sex is for faithful stable permanent relationships i don't i don't i don't see a justification for that And then she was off to join her small group for what turned into about three hours of discussion. These were close to the press and marked the end of business on Tuesday, before the big public debate on the Bishop's Gay Blessings the following afternoon. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. Today is the big day, just walking into Church House here in um, central London where the Synod has been meeting, it's been building up for several days on Monday. We heard from the Bishop of London, kind of setting the scene of how we got to where we are, what the bishops have proposed, what they have. And then yesterday, Synod members spent three to four hours in quite intense discussions in small groups. Um, Press were not allowed into those, but I've heard afterwards that there was a lot of emotions running high, lots of tears, accusations, strong feelings on all sides, very little agreement. Um, and that's all in preparation for the crunch debate, which kicks off this afternoon on the, the main motion in the public synod. So we will see what will happen next. The debate in the synod was not technically just about the gay blessings, known as prayers of love and faith. Bishop Mullerly's motion not only welcomed these new gay prayers, but also offered a whole church apology to LGBT plus people, and called for new pastoral guidance to be written, covering how gay clergy and lay Christians alike should order their personal lives. The chair, 
Jeffrey Tattersall gave a flavour of what was at stake in his opening remarks to the debate. For some, if not all of us, this may well be, at the very least, an uncomfortable few hours, which we will be able to reflect on at our leisure. And if we choose to do so, there is no doubt that we may offend dear friends and loyal colleagues, believing that we are only speaking truth. But my sincere hope and prayer for today's debate is that in all we say, and in particular how we express ourselves, we will be filled with a generosity of spirit towards each other, and that we do not use language which proclaims an automatic entitlement over the deeply held views of our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we believe that we are capable of disagreeing well, now is the time to show it. I would like to start by now, saying... Now, a heads up. This debate lasted for over eight hours, and it's simply not going to be possible to summarise the complexity of all its ebbs and flows in a single podcast episode. So instead, I'm going to try to offer you a bit of light-touch analysis and see how we get on. At first, we got a bit of discussion about the merits of the motion itself. And then there were dozens of attempts to try to amend the motion. Most of these came from Conservatives of various stripes, some simply attempted to wipe out the entire thing and replace it with a restatement of orthodox traditional teaching on marriage being between one man and one woman. Others tried to insert additional clauses which would bind the new pastoral guidance into remaining within current doctrine on sex and relationships, or to request the entire package was postponed until the next synod in July for the bishops to give more theological consideration to their ideas. Some liberals also tried to intervene, with Jane Ozan, who we heard from in the previous podcast on this, trying and failing to take out the apology in the motion, arguing that without more substantive action, these warm words actually meant nothing to LGBT Christians. This was a useful reminder that for all the conservative horror at the bishop's plan, it also fell well short of what most progressives on the Synod also wanted. Some sought to find a middle way, by amending the prayers of love and faith so that they could not be used unless both a vicar and their church's elected council both agreed. And finally, several liberals also tried to amend the motion to call on the bishops to go further and propose full gay marriage in church as a way of testing what support existed for this more radical step. All of these amendments were painstaking debated, resisted by Bishop Mullally, and one by one defeated they fleshed out quite clearly the dividing lines in the Synod. Among the bishops, there were a handful, maybe three or four, who consistently voted for more conservative amendments, while the other 25 or so were in favour. Among both the larger houses of clergy and laity, there were about 80 to 90 conservatives sceptical of the reforms, but about 100 to 120 in favour of them. And there were also some inevitable procedural shenanigans. At every single vote, one member of the Synod popped up to ask for the vote to be taken not of the whole Synod, but divided into its three houses of bishops, clergy and laity. This meant that even if the clergy and laity did vote in favour of an amendment, the bishops could vote it down by themselves, as they always did, to protect their own proposals. Synod rules state that in a vote by houses, all three must agree for the vote to pass. Where we need people to be loved more than ever. It's wrong. If God is love and God comes in abundance to put, 
pressure on people who are called into a ministry that is difficult. Into a ministry that is The hard. debate dragged on and on, deep into the evening, as the light fell outside. Voices were raised against the blessings and in favour in almost equal number. As seven o'clock neared, it became obvious we were not going to finish on time. Eventually, we were all sent home to return the following morning at 9 a.m. sharp to start all over again. Well, we are back, just walking back into Church House in central London for another, what looks like to be several hours of debate. We did five long, gruelling hours in the chamber yesterday. 16 amendments, none passed. And but we're only even halfway through, so we're back Thursday morning for another round to see what sort of members hammer out and ultimately what they will vote on this big gay blessings proposal. The problem is that despite our genuine compassion for our LGBTI sisters and brothers and respect too for their heterosexual champions and recognition of the homophobia that exists out there and maybe unconsciously in here too, and despite the internal battles between our heads and our hearts, which many of us can identify with and speak of, some of us simply can't join in what sometimes seems like an inevitable journey eventually towards equal marriage. Our reasons are set out in a paper recently added to the LLF website. Finally, after what had now been over seven hours of debate, one last amendment was not resisted by Bishop Manali and did eventually pass the Synod. It was quite simple. The amendment added a clause to the motion, stating that nothing the bishops were proposing was contrary to the existing teaching of the C of E, i.e. that marriage was for one man and one woman only. Given this had been the argument from the bishops all along, that their blessings are not new doctrine and can exist alongside retaining the traditional teaching, it was hard for them to resist one. Given that this has been the argument from the bishops all along, that their blessings are not new doctrine and can exist alongside retaining the traditional teaching, it was hard for them to resist this one at least. And so, eight long hours after we began, just before lunchtime on Thursday, we came to a final vote on the now amended motion. And the results, frankly, were strikingly familiar. 36 bishops voted for it and just four against. Among the clergy, it was 111 in favour to 85 against. And among the laity, there were 103 votes for and 92 against. And so, the motion was carried in all three houses. Well, that, that is it. The momentous vote has come, and in the end, the General Synod voted to approve the gay blessings proposed by the bishops. Uh, the motion was amended once. Uh, the amendment basically reiterated that these prayers and liturgies that they've created are not going to change the actual marriage doctrine of the Church of England, which the bishops probably couldn't resist, given that they've been saying the same thing all the time. But then when it came to the final vote, uh, in each house it was, it was pretty close, apart from in the bishops where there was a strong majority in favour. But um, yeah, after, so they voted, they voted for it. It's received in silence as a synod tradition. I've just kind of rushed down the stairs to try and catch some of the synod members as they as they leave, and really no one really was ready to talk to me and be recorded. They're still kind of digesting, feeling quite bruised after what's been almost eight hours in the chamber. So I think we're going to go and get some lunch, take a breather, and then try and get some reaction to what we've just been listening to and what we've just seen. Premier Christian Newscast. 
Christian Newscast. After the dust had settled and tempers calmed, I spoke to a handful of Synod members to try and get their take on what had just happened and what might happen next, now that the gay blessings had been voted through. First, I chatted with Pasola Shodinde, a member of the PCC at Holy Trinity Brompton, and also a member of the Church Commissioners, who managed the Church of England's multi-billion pound endowment. Basola had unsuccessfully tried to amend the motion to require the bishops to consult every Anglican Archbishop worldwide before bringing in the gay blessings. I guess first thing to say is, you know, it's been about an hour or so now. How, how are you <laughs> feeling about the result of how that went? Exhausted, tired, but relieved in a way that, that there's... Um... We're getting to different milestones. What do you mean, what kind of milestones are we reaching? Personally, I think in my, in my humble opinion, um, I, I still think differentiation is inevitable. So what you saw from the speeches today was clarity of how different mm. and how visibly different we were. And I think that for me was very clear that you could then see the two sides in terms of what they were um, speaking for or against, and so, and so because of that, it's like there's clarity mm. in position, right? And so, when you then, hopefully, the next steps would be a journey towards. For me, that that's what it would look like to me in terms of how do we move from here would be that differentiation. I think it will be, personally speaking, very difficult for us to all be in the same boat mm. because the theology is, is quite different. So are you thinking on lines of things like, you know, different, a, a separate province for kind of conservatives or some of the things that I'm the Church sure. of England even council I'm not sure has... what that would look like. I think where I'm reflecting from, that was the purpose of my amendment, was to always think about what is, who is the Church of England or who, what's the DNA? Um, and so where I tried to bring some reasoning to, actually, it's not just in England, it, you've gone out to share the mission to all these parts of the world and what does it look like for a mother church to perhaps be taking a progressive view mm. and whereas the others where you've planted in other countries still want to remain more traditional in their, in their, in their theology. So I think I was just reflecting on the path of have we done a proper audit? It was quite striking the, the speech that the Archbishop of Canterbury made in that debate on your amendment, he was very emotional and, and was kind of making the case that, you know, no one has done more than me to, to invest in the Anglican Communion and to build relationships with the different churches and the different archbishops. How did you react to that? Did you feel manipulated? Did you feel he was making a fair point? No, he was making a fair point because he's gone out extensively um, to other parts. Um, but we also know quite publicly that um, there are areas where there's friction. I mean, there's a sizable amount of bishops that didn't show up at Lambeth. Um, this is last year's Lambeth. So, that, so, so it's obvious that the friction's already there. And so I think when he made the presidential statement about unity, I thought actually we should be acknowledging the fact that actually some people may not be with you on this journey. And it's important that Synod understands that the decision you're making today me fracture those relationships forever. Hmm. And I don't think people got that. 
And so the decision has been... And it's almost like you make the reference to Brexit. Yeah? Yeah. Because you can look at both as, as, a, as an analogy, because um, for those who voted for Brexit, I mean, I voted for Brexit as well, but those who voted for Brexit, and some say, oh, we didn't think about everything. And some, some people say, oh, we want to go back. But like, no, you've already left. And it's, what, it's, it's those sort of conversations that, you know, when you, when you have this seismic shift in your relationships, like, there's no going back. Mm. So do you think a line has been crossed now? You know, the Church of England's parliament effectively has voted for these blessings. They're going to happen. Do you expect, do you fear that some of the, some of the, mother, the, the sister churches around the world will say, enough is enough, we're cutting ties? No, I think Bishop Sami made that clear when he made the speech. And he said, it's a, it's a choice that we have to make. That if you, if you go down blessing same-sex, couples in church, it, it wasn't a position that they would support. So they were very clear what their position is. So, and I think we just have to acknowledge that, that it's, it's, that's the position. And I think I wasn't sure whether Synod was waking up to that understanding that their relationship with 75% of the Anglican communion will be for, well, I don't want to use my mouth and say it prophetically, but could be damaged, no, could be separated forever. And so, you know, I've been talking to some evangelicals who are seriously wondering, you know, vicars, whether they can even, whether they're going to have to resign as priests in the Church of England because they feel so disappointed and betrayed by the bishops. You don't, you seem quite positive about the future, even though this is a setback, but it doesn't seem to be no, devastating you. No, it, it doesn't. And I would say that they shouldn't um, resign or leave yet because I think... I would say, um, to travel with this journey because there will still be an eventual destination and it will be too early to jump off because you will still find, we will still go on this journey and there will still be an ultimate destination and to just be patient because we're going to get there. Hmm. You might have lost the battle but not the whole war. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, 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 and you have to remember that um, someone once said to me that the Pentecostal church was the same, you know, they, they started out of persecution and, and so, and it's just grown. Um, and so, and, and that's the thing, the, your faith, the faith grows. It's not something that you can put a lead on. And I think whatever new formation there is, if there is one, not to be afraid, for sure. The day after, I picked up the phone to Neil Patterson, who works for the Diocese of Lincoln and also leads the Gender and Sexuality Group of Synod members. Can I, can I start by asking how are you feeling today in the kind of the morning after the night before? Are you feeling pleased, exhausted? Yes, yes uh, pleased and exhausted, I think, would both be true. Yes. It was a lot, you know, it was a lot, it was a, it felt like a long synod and certainly a long debate. Mm. I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, I imagine you were among those people who, who would have much preferred the bishops to propose full full gay marriage. Do you see this as, as a kind of tolerable compromise, a halfway house that gets us somewhere down the road? I think it is a, I see it as, I see it as a, step, a positive step forward, I think is the phrase I keep using. Uh, and, I think, and I think also, yes, I'm, I'm supportive of equal marriage in principle. I think the bishops proposed what they could realistically propose to this synod. And I think, in a sense, the voting bears that out. Yeah, because it seemed like there was a sizable conservative minority, which probably was big enough to have blocked any any kind of doctrinal change. 
yes. And of course, Jane, you know, Jane Azan's amendment offered us the chance uh, mm. to vote on equal marriage. I voted for Jane's amendment, but that was defeated even on straightforward majorities. Mm. So. Were you, um, how did you feel the kind of tenor of the debate was? I mean, were you a little nervous kind of building up to it that it would, be, it would get quite ugly? Yeah, I, th- I think it could have been worse. There were some, you know, inevitably there are, there are some people whose personalities, you know, are not suited to perhaps and who and, but I think I th- there were not there were not as many bad there were not as many unpleasant things said as might have been mm. in a sense. It, the, the, the tone was that there was, you know, urgent and sometimes frustrated. But I think there was, there was nothing angry, and there were only. You know, very few moments that were sort of what really say call offensive, and I think they were mostly from one or two individuals who are probably better not given too much publicity. One of the things in the build-up to the synod that I'm sure you saw was speculation about whether some of the more liberal or progressive kind of wing of the synod might decide that this doesn't go far enough and actually kind of vote it down as a as an expression of protest against the bishops. That clearly didn't happen. Does that surprise you? Did you expect there to be more kind of people? you know, like your Jane Ozans, who, who say, actually, I'm not going to tolerate this even as a kind of halfway house, it's not enough. Well, I think I would say that, I mean, I think if I played a part in last week, it was to discourage people from doing that, actually. You know, I, I felt that ultimately that, that would have been counterproductive and we would have, you know, we'd have been back to no change. So. Uh, and, and was that easy to persuade people? Did you have to kind of talk some people uh, down? To a degree, yes. I mean, and, and I think there are, yes, and I think, yeah, there's, there's been a lot of conversations around, and, and uh, it's taken quite a lot of work to persuade. And not, and not everyone is persuaded, of course, clearly. I think Jane's carried on commenting in public, hasn't she, on, on her frustration, uh, and which I, you know, I respect. Um, and, and others, perhaps, frankly, others, outs, not necessarily outside the Church of England, but more on the margins of the Church, the wider LGBT world, is clearly somewhat unimpressed, understandably. What would your message be to people who 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 think that you know, as long as the ban on gay marriage remains, everything else is kind of crumbs from the table? I think. Well, well it's difficult to think, but it epitomise it. <laughs> I, I feel sort of. I feel your pain, but but please try and, and you know be charitable with what, what we're working with. I suppose. Uh, I'm trying to think how to phrase it. And it is something, and this is the kind of thing you have from the bishops about trying to respect people even though you find them very difficult. You know, I've had various conversations that you know, you've probably picked up on this and huge conversations between some mm. of us and some of the very strong conservatives. There's still people who are entitled to their views and, you know, I can't force them to suddenly change their mind. Yeah. So, what I'd be interested to know what you made of, towards the end of the debate, we started talking um, around, you know, some of the key evangelical desire, demands for kind of what they're calling differentiation, you know, kind of some kind of structural reorganisation, which they would offer in return for kind of not blocking gay marriage. What, what do you make of that? You know, Stephen Cottrell seemed to be open to that idea. I, I think, well, that's the kind of conversation we've been having in these conversations for the best part of nearly three years, we haven't got any cl- anywhere close to push a model of it. Um, and also, I would say, I mean, I, you know, I know we're quite reasonably, in terms of their actions in the debate, the Conservatives were um, basically resisting everything. There, there wasn't much 
there wasn't much suggestion of what would enable them to make it. It's, it's, it's resistant as long as you can, and then ask for something when you can't ha- you can't hold it any longer. So that makes that very good sense. Do you see what I mean? Hmm. There, there wasn't much sense of we will, we will support these proposals if it was more we will resist them, and if we can't resist them, we will demand something different. It's very difficult to square the circle when the problem, as, as I hear it directly from conservatives, is if if it's taught, as it were, anywhere in the Church of England that same-sex relations are acceptable, that's a problem. We haven't yet found a way to square that circle. Hmm. Because if you know, if you, if you can't be in a church in which there's any official support for same-sex relationships, how, how do you be, be in it and not in it at the same time? We, have, we haven't yet found a... I don't think we've yet found the, the, the legal or, or the doctrinal expression of how that it's possible I'd be delighted the way if we did, but it's not easy. And finally, I checked in with John Dunnett, who leads the evangelical group on the Synod and is also Director of Strategy and Operations at the Church of England Evangelical Council. Could I start by asking what your kind of overall kind of feelings are coming out of what's been quite a kind of gruelling few days for all members of Synod? Um, as you've had time to kind of sleep on it, go home. How do you feel the, the, the morning after the night before, as it were? Yeah. Tim, thank you. That That's an obvious but a good question. Um, I guess the headline is one of um, but both dismay, but if you, if I can put it this way, measured shock. Um, I say dismay, people should not underestimate um, what a big decision was made yesterday because it's been reported in some quarters as, you know, one step along the journey of the preparation of prayers. But actually, some of the tabloid papers have actually caught more accurately the essence. This is a massive vote to leave um, an understanding of sex and marriage that the Church of England was built on and has had ever since it was started. This represents a departure from the 75% of the Anglican communion's understanding about these issues. This puts us at odds with Christ- the, the global major Christian denominations. It was actually a massive decision that was made yesterday. Hence, that's why I say about measured, measured, measured shock. We should not underestimate what a big decision that was. And the word dismay is because, you know, it saddens me that um, we sat in a chamber that eventually took a decision um, to leave our understanding of Scripture behind. Um, you know, we're no longer simply saying, what does it say in the Bible? How do we respond to that? Um, you know, we have been offered a different take um, on these massive issues that, you know, sends us on a trajectory that leaves scripture behind. Dismay is the best word. Did you, going into this week, did you and your kind of colleagues on the kind of evangelical wing of the Synod, did you harbour serious hope that you could vote the whole motion down? Or did you think it was always unlikely, given the way the numbers lie on Synod? Tim, again, good question. Um, uh, Everything is possible with God, so never say never (laughs) if, if the Lord is there and present. Um, but politically speaking and numbers speaking, we always anticipated losing, yes. Hmm. Did you ever wonder in the build-up whether some of uh, those on the Liberal wing who are upset with this proposal for a completely different reason, because it doesn't go far enough, whether they might paradoxically join you in, in voting against it because because they saw it as kind of you know crumbs from the table and not good enough? It, it, was, that, it was always possible, 
that the Liberals would be offended by how small a, uh, you know, a, a gift they were receiving. Um, but as it turns out, I think they bought into a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Do you fear, as some of them, I think, have presumed that this is not the end of the journey, but merely a kind of way station on the way towards the eventual destination of, of gay marriage in church? Um, to be fair to those who want, um, as they call it, equal marriage in the church, they, they made that very clear in the debates of the last couple of days. They weren't being disingenuous in any way about that. That's what they want. Um, I noticed the campaign, I've forgotten what it's called now, the campaign for equal marriage in the church or something has made it very clear on their tweets and blogs and things that, you know, that this is the beginning of the journey, not the end of the journey. So, you know, they've not in any way um, hidden what it is that they're looking for. Um, uh, and they've made their position very clear. And, you know, let's respect that integrity. Hmm. It was interesting hearing from some evangelical members like Ed Shaw and others saying, kind of, let's be candid. There is a deal to be done here that might actually draw a line underneath this, which looks like gay marriage for you, but not in my, not for me. And, and in some, you know, the language you're using is differentiation. Were you encouraged that that kind of conversation is starting to finally happen? It was very good that in several speeches over the last couple of days, um, you know, the idea of creating different spaces within the Church of England was launched. That was a very important thing to have on the table. Um, the phrase settlement um, was used by the Archbishop of York, I think, in his um, speech as we got towards the end of the debate. I think the million dollar question is, what do people understand by that word? It certainly cannot be a theological word. There's no way we can compromise our theological or biblical convictions. But if we're talking about the way the Church of England is structured or arranged, then I think we have got to sit around the table and say, you know, is there any way that we can do something, rearrange, you know, the way things are organised to give, if you like, secure spaces, certainly from where I sit, for orthodoxy to flourish and be secure going forwards? You're very well connected, obviously, in the evangelical world, but even I have been hearing rumblings and rumours and discontent from some quite major evangelical figures and churches saying, to be honest, this has already crossed the red line. You know, before we've even got close to gay marriage, this is a step too far. You'll have seen that All Souls Church in Central London has decided to withhold its common fund. Do you, what's your kind of message to, to evangelicals who are saying, I'm already making steps to leave? Is it kind of hold on, we can work something out? And different people will respond to their red lines in different ways. Um, I'm um, encouraged that All Souls Langham Place has taken the position that it's had. I mean, I don't think, you know, you can obviously ask um, Charlie Screen, the rector there, for his view himself, but I don't read their current decision. Um, as an indication that they are walking out of the door tomorrow morning or anything like that at all. I think they are simply trying to articulate just how serious this situation is and that any kind of settlement needs to be absolutely robust, strong, um, and other churches will want to follow the example they've set. Um, to those who really, really feel that we've now gone too far, and who might be waking up tomorrow morning and saying, I'm off, then, uh, you know, I'll be sad to see them go, um, but they will remain brothers and sisters in Christ. So, you know, I'll still share a fellowship with them. It'll just be sad that it won't be in the Church of England. There may come a point 
where I wake up tomorrow morning um, uh, and, and my problem or, or my, my moment would come if whatever is meant by settlement um, was not going to give orthodoxy uh, a clear and guaranteed and secure possibility for flourishing in the Church of England going forward. And um, that for me would be my decision moment. For the moment, I am hopeful that um, a conversation might be launched and that it might be possible for us to get to a place where we can say, well, part of the Church of England we struggle with, but part of the Church of England remains faithful to the inheritance we've received. So let's keep going in that bit of it. Hmm. And just lastly, then, the other big issue that came up in the debate was around this new pastoral guidance the bishops are going to to use to replace issues in human sexuality. Do you have concerns about that process, the, the kind of speed of it, the, the kind of lack of clarity? Um, a lot of members of Synod agreed that issues in human sexuality was kind of out of date, but but some people were saying you were, were eventually giving the bishops a blank check to, to write this new version without really knowing what we're voting on. Well, I don't envy whoever's going to chair that process because I don't know how you square a circle and how you can give the freedoms that the change advocates want, whilst at the same time, um, whatever you provide not being contrary to or indicative of a departure of from the doctrine of the Church of England, I just don't know how they're going to do that. Um, so I think the honest answer is, yes, it is at the moment a blank sheet of paper. I'm glad I'm not responsible for it. You know, I will wait with interest to see what it is that's brought back in July. And that is where we stand today. At some point in the near future, vicars in the Church of England will be able to invite same-sex couples who have entered a civil partnership or gay marriage to come and be blessed in church. Liberals are offering a cautious welcome, while mostly hoping that this is just the beginning of a journey to full marriage equality. Conservatives, on the other hand, are divided between those who are horrified and making plans to leave, those who want to stay and fight to regain control of the church, and a third group who are prepared to let gay marriage happen if they can be given their own separate space inside the institution, protected from any more liberalisation. That last, more complex conversation has barely begun in the Church of England, and it's impossible to know where, if anywhere, it will go over the coming months. But nobody has any doubt that last week's synod, although unquestionably momentous in many ways, is merely another staging post in the long, drawn-out war of attrition within the church between traditionalists and progressives over LGBT issues. A battle has been won, but the war is far from over. That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget to also subscribe to the podcast on your phone or tablet to ensure that you receive each episode automatically sent to your device week by week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 